Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and he's Gregor Robertson. Today we're joined in the studio by Alison Rudd. Hello everyone, how are you all doing? Hello Natalie. Hello. Hello, hello. Doing well? Very well. You? I'm, I'm fine. Um, Alison, I imagine you're a little unhappy after last night's events, which we will get on to, but are you okay? I took it out on tennis. I tend to do that a lot, don't I? Yes, poor, those poor tennis balls. <laughs> That's all we can say. Now coming up, we're talking about the impact that the coronavirus is having on football and the problems with playing behind closed doors. Plus, we're going to be joined by Rebecca Myers as England's She Believes Cup campaign draws to a dismal close. First, though, we're looking back on this week's Champions League action and Liverpool crashed out of the Champions League this week. Jurgen Klopp's side failed to reach the final for the first time in three years after Atletico Madrid beat them in extra time in their last 16 tie. Klopp wasn't exactly very happy about it. Um, Once again, he questioned the Atletico boss, Diego Simeone's style of football. This is what he had to say. I'm completely happy with the Liverpool performance. It's so difficult to play a side like this, Klopp told BT Sport, adding he was searching for the right words. He went on to say, I don't understand with the quality they have, the football they play. They could play proper football, but they stand deep and have counter-attacks. We accept it, of course, but it doesn't feel right tonight. I realise I'm a really bad loser, especially when the boys put such an effort in against world-class players on the other side who defend with two rows of four. Uh, Alison, is Klopp right to be so frustrated? Well, of course he's right to be frustrated. Liverpool played so well compared to the first leg where they just couldn't summon anything on target. They had a lot of possession but couldn't... They just weren't imaginative with it. And they succumbed to the discipline of Atletico and uh, a particularly uh, amazing home support. I was... I was almost shocked with just how how much they progressed from that to Anfield because uh, Atletico were exactly the same. They they play so deep you don't need the, you don't need a flag for offside anymore. They, they, you can never be offside when you're playing against Atletico. Often, you know, there were eight bodies in the area. I mean, it was and, and yet and yet regularly throughout the game, Liverpool were using the flanks. They were they were they were doing using every inch of the pitch to try and thwart that so I was if I was in charge of that team I'd be so proud that they'd worked on it they'd analyze what Atletico do how we can get through it It, it, it's that then it becomes wrong if you like to have a go because it was the best of football that stopped Liverpool winning because their keeper was in 
amazing form. There were lots and lots of intelligent, solid tackling and marking, lots of anticipation of where the the deadly ball was going to come from. And that's that isn't uh, anti football. That's that's real football. I mean, I was really impressed with Atletico in the first leg because I was there for that one with their concentration levels. That is part of football, and they they did it as a masterclass in that. And their breakaways, if you have so few breakaways and you make them all count, amazing. And if your sub-keeper, if your Liverpool isn't up to the job, well, that's Klopp's fault as well. I mean, he's picked the wrong sub. So it, I understand completely why he's angry and he probably said things that don't sound polite and everyone should be more gracious in defeat. I understand completely why he's frustrated because Liverpool played beautifully. I, t- I tweeted... This is achingly, frustratingly beautiful because it was beautiful, but it wasn't getting them anywhere. Um, I have sympathy with Klopp, but it's don't start don't start calling Atletico uh, a team that play football the wrong way. Yes, they've got great players, but you, you need great players to do it that way because those tackles and those passes out of defence when they could were superb. It's even more than that. It's it's persuading great players to play like that. I think that's increasingly hard. In modern football, um, and I, you know, I think yeah, the, the use of the word proper, you know, as if this is an improper football. Yes, yes. It was a little, you know, he was in the heat of the moment. It's a, it's a press conference after the game. I'm sure he doesn't really mean that. There's, there's plenty of ways to play football, um, and I, I completely agree. I don't think people really understand quite what a feat it is to concentrate and defend like that for 120 minutes, mm. and then you add the 90 minutes from from the first leg as well. It's it's astonishing, really. Mm. Um, but it is because we are so used to now the, the expansive style of football, yeah. the, the beautiful game that we're now witnessing, that people forget there are other ways of playing Absolutely. and just as effective as it proved last night. Yeah, I mean, although this that is a dying art. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. What, what Simeone gets his team to do is a dying art. Um, but that doesn't make it any less football. And it's actually, for a neutral, it's quite kind of refreshing to see that players are still so committed and so organised and disciplined and all these things and willing to do it and willing to play like that um, and also I mean, I think it's also given a bit of lack of credit if you, there were spells in the game I think kind of midway to the sort of end of the first half where Atletico started to knock it about and keep the ball a bit as well and also their set pieces were, were incredible and the time to try to kind of break Obviously, Liverpool had a high line. They tried to; they almost got in in the first minute as well. Um, and from some of the set plays, they they created chances. You know, but I've seen people saying that Atletico didn't really defend that well because Liverpool had chances. Over, they're playing against one of the best teams, probably still the best attacking unit in Europe, even though they've gone out, and they withheld them. So, I mean, absolutely, kudos to them. And also, if you were an Atletico fan, I think you would have enjoyed it. I don't think the people supporting that club would have been thinking, oh, I'm really annoyed now. This is just getting tiresome. I think watching that unfold and knowing there were going to be spasms of attack and seeing how lethal they were would have been quite, quite thrilling. Mm. I mean, it certainly was, as you pointed out, Gregor, for the neutral. It was really thrilling to watch who would come out of that battle with the winner. But, Alison, in the space of 12 days... Liverpool have missed out on the chance of becoming a Premier League invincible. They've been dumped out of the FA Cup, subsequently 
ending their hopes of, of the treble. And now they've missed out on the chance to retain their world championship status for next season. Where's it all gone wrong? Well, I, I think I think it's gone right again. Um, uh, what? <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, intrigued. No. I'm paused. I'm, I'm waiting to hear. Me too. <laughs> I think I think the gap, the three week gap between the first leg of the Champions League tie in Madrid and Wednesday night's game. So, having seen what unfolded on Wednesday night, I got the impression that Liverpool were in some sort of stasis, sort of just getting through until they could meet Atletico again. And watch, having seen how well they'd thought through the best way to combat or what they thought would allow them to combat Simeone's side showed to me that maybe they've been spending an awful lot of time uh, on computer models and training about that game. It felt like everything had been almost on hold until they could be at Anfield for what was going to be a rocking atmosphere and there might have been a subconscious belief at the club that it would kickstart them again having gone into a a lull that I don't think is a ridiculous thing to happen when a team's performing so well. You will get lulls. And I think there was a feeling that once they um, showed their true credentials in the Champions League, everything would rev back up again. The only thing that went wrong was the result because I do think Liverpool, I think individually, apart from the goalkeeper, uh, everyone did something really good that was uh, an improvement on what we've seen in recent weeks. I think as a unit, they looked, they, they just looked that wonderful unit that we've been purring about most of the season and our rightful title elect. I, I So I, although the result was appalling and kind of, kind of weird and upsetting, I don't, I st what they now have to do is take from that that they, you know, the fact that Gregor says, you know, they're still the, the best team in the world. They have the best... when they, they look like that again. So they have to be able to take that and know that they're not going to meet another team from now from now till the end of the season. They're not going to meet a team that can do that to them, probably. They've got... The, that, that That is their rough patch gone. And yes, it's... Um, it's They were capable of, of doing both because they got such a big lead in the Premier League, they were capable of winning the title and winning the Champions League. So that that's why it's that's why it's really disappointing. Because they had they had it. They had it and they mm. just came up against a team that was just incredibly well disciplined. I kinda have to agree. I think that such fine margins we're talking about and it was a, a pretty glaring error from from the goalkeeper. Otherwise it may not it may have been very different. Um and I think I agree. There was a lot of thought put into the game. There was things you noticed right at the start, like Trent Alexander-Arnold almost playing like an inside inside right midfielder, Oxley Chamberlain going wide, just to manoeuvre to find spaces to get crosses into the box from the right sort of angle that would hurt the defenders. Oxley Chamberlain was superb as well. It's kind of some of his surging runs down the right. Um, Salah another another day when he cuts inside, he find the corner. It was very fine margins, and that, that's knockout football at the very elite level. So. I don't think Liverpool... It, look, it is going to be whatever way you look at it. It's not the season that we thought it was going to be. I think we all thought they were going to go through the league invincible. Um, you know, the FA Cup was a bit of an afterthought for them, let's be honest. But the Champions League as well. If they, you know, we thought there was a real chance of a of a double. Um, and, you know, the league still, after 30 years, is, is a good thing to fall back on. But 
Um, it's a bit of a, a bit of a whimper, I think. Still. Well, this is what I was going to say. Is no, it, it's is not. It... it feels like a whimper now in the in the aftermath of a very strange knockout game. But we, when it, when the moment comes, winning the Premier League title won't feel like a whimper at all. Yeah, we're going to come on to talk about it. Let's hope it does come. Yes, we'll talk about that in a little while, Gregor. But um, continuing on the Champions League theme, Tottenham's campaign came to an end on Tuesday night. The task was tough enough, heading to Germany a goal behind, not to mention doing it with the length of the injury list that Jose Mourinho had. But Spurs ended up being hammered, in truth, by RB Leipzig. The tie finished 4-0. Alison, you covered this game as well. And afterwards, you wrote, Tottenham were outclassed by a team with a strong identity, brimming with confidence, while Jose Mourinho's side is a patchwork effort these days as he copes with injuries and bad luck. So, was the defeat simply down to bad luck and injuries? Or is there more to it? Well, there is more to it, but I, I think any criticism of Mourinho, you, you you have to accept that's a lot on your plate, and it's it's been bad news after bad news for him. But it it's the mark of a great manager how they they handle it. Uh, I don't know what they're doing on the training ground at the moment, but when Spurs come out when Spurs come out to play, they look <laughs> tired. And so I think it's going wrong. They seem they look overworked. I use the phrase, they shoot horses, don't they? Because it was almost painful to watch. Because I think Spurs tried. They they were trying. But it was, it was sometimes it was like watching people running in sand. It, there was effort, but it took them so much effort just to keep going and to try and concentrate because Leipzig were, you know, they came out having fun. They were great. You know, I think they... You could see that they thought, oh, this is going to be awful. They, they kept trying, they kept trying, but all the, too much mental and physical effort was going into can we can we cope over 90 minutes and not get too embarrassed as opposed to, and you've got a big injury list, um, what is our imagination? How what, what can we do to thwart Leipzig? How can we surprise them? How can we adapt to their system? There was, it was plodding. But it felt inevitably plodding because he's got, he had no, nobody on the bench to make to make any statement at all. There was no one to fear on the bench. And I mentioned Leipzig's identity high up in my report because one way you can counter bad luck and injuries is is if you've got a system and a strong identity, you can slot people into that if if, if they're all schooled into it. Mm. Um, so, in theory, say. A youngster like Troy Parrott, if, if, instead of treating him the way Mourinho has treated him, you've just used him as this is somebody who's going to have to help us. Let's make sure he understands this is the Spurs way under Mourinho. This is our identity. And if I put you on the pitch, you know exactly what we're going to do. There's absolutely no point putting someone young like that on the pitch because he won't know what Spurs are going to do because they do not have an identity. You Before kickoff, it was 50-50 in the press box how they were going to line up. Would it be four at the back, three at the back, five at the back? How are they going to line up? Because we don't know what Spurs are anymore. And even when we saw the team sheet, we weren't entirely sure, is Eric Dyer going to play in midfield or not? It, it, there was, it, was, it was very, as I said, patchwork. And one of the criticisms of Mourinho is that he's just very good at making sure that excellent players 
are well drilled and don't get overexcited and the outcome is correct. When he when he needs to be a bit more flexible and tweak things, I don't I I just don't get the impression he has much of a big imagination. Well, obviously, we we've always spoken, Gregor, about how Jose Mourinho behaves and the way he speaks of his players. Let's say, and he came into this tie bemoaning his injuries, and we'll give him that because mm-hmm. they have had a lot of injuries. But after the game, he reflected as well on the fact that the RB Leipzig bench could walk into the Tottenham starting eleven. Why is he not getting it? That some of the things he's saying is just not helpful. Well. Uh... I think the first thing he says is that he, he must not be like that in the changing room. He can't be. Uh, the, the, there are kind of noises that even at Manchester United when he was throwing Luke Shaw under the mm. bus or Chris Smalling, that it was it was almost a persona for the for the press and then he's some, someone very different behind the scenes. And I think that's probably true again, but it all feeds into the narrative about Josie Mourinho now. Um, it, it kind of it reminds me of a, a playing for a manager once who, who constantly was saying that he was going to sign a whole new team. He was, after every, every game we lost, we're on a bad run, we're going to go, you're, none of you are good enough, we're going to, so he was t- saying it to our faces and stuff. And one one day, I, a player who was quite a big character in the dressing room just sort of stood up and said, well, go and effing do it then. And he said, I can't, my, my hands are tied, <laughs> you know, I haven't got any money. Right. And it's like, what's the point then? You know, you've got, and it's the same sort of thing, because nowadays players will listen to what Jose Mourinho is saying you know they've got Twitter and and all these things, and they'll see they'll see what he's saying publicly. So, you know, it's different when when it comes to Ndombele. He was that was a message to Daniel Levy saying, "This guy is not is not good enough. He's not worth the money you paid for for him. He's not going to play for me, basically." Um, but when he's saying that about their entire bench can get in, mm. could play in my team now, then I mean, sorry, that's demoralising for what any player you're talking about. Um, I don't, I, I'm conflicted about Mourinho. I, part of me thinks he's a busted flush. I think he's, as I said, the way that Simeone and Atletico Madrid play, that is a dying, dying art. And, and Mourinho is still at heart, a pragmatist who, first and foremost, he wants his team not to concede goals and then he wants to have sterling players where he gets them in the final third and says, go and do what you can and, and get us a goal. Um, and so... From on one hand, Spurs aren't aren't good enough at the moment to play like that because they've got Son and Harry Kane uh, out injured. But on the other hand, I don't think it's ever going to work. I don't think that kind of football is ever going to win the Premier League, or it might get might get Tottenham in the top four. It it might win them the League Cup or even the FA Cup. But as as Alison's saying, that's that's not a plan. That's that's not. An identity for Tottenham in the long term, uh, and I think fundamentally is that his presence is at odds with what Tottenham has been for so many years. And Daniel Levy must be looking. At, I think it, he sold, <laughs> he, he he got rid of a guy who kind of got told his players to dream and kind of and to create a team that was that was greater than the sum of its parts. You know, they did some. You know, he, he was a he was emotional and and. And Mourinho is a guy who sucks the life force out of you, um, and it was all really just so at the, with a hope that he would get into the Champions League and get another year of Champions League money because they need it. Is there still room in the game then for Jose Mourinho, Alison? Well, I think 
that's the pity of it in a way because he has this is such a big test for him with the injuries you know Tottenham Hotspur without Son without Kane is we know it's depleted and requires a little touch of genius and I just don't get the impression Mourinho's thinking I've got that genius I can, you think he's I lost can. his kind of self-belief, his module? Well, it was, he was... So I was, I was with him for two days. I mean, I had two press conferences with him. And it, he was smiling a lot, but his words were negative. So somebody said, you know, miracles are possible. Look at what happened to Spurs when they overcame Ajax against the odds. And the first thing he said was, I don't have the options off the bench that uh, Pochettino had. Yeah. Well, well that's... In what way is that giving anybody the sense that they could do it. Mm. He's basically telling his team, as well as us, telling his team, came over I, can't, I, can't, I can't do a miracle, because I... Really? Your only miracle relies on having Lorente on the bench? I mean... Why, why say it? Why concentrate on what you don't have instead of, instead of winking and saying, it's okay, I know, I know what a miracle is. Mm. Yeah. And then you then you get under the skin of Leipzig, don't you? What's he on about? <laughs> and then they're thinking, well, it is Mourinho. Yeah. You know, Mourinho always wins trophies. What special tricks does he have? Yeah, to you've got to you've got to make people think. You've got a plan. And he was basically saying, my injury list is a joke, and I don't I don't I don't even have people on the bench that Pochettino had. But that is also the problem. The, the way he moans about things, you you lose sympathy for him because of the way he handles the situation, Gregor. Yeah, he's not. I mean, Spurs were Spurs were likable, and they're no longer a likable team. They're no longer a team that that the neutral kind of enjoys watching. Uh, and it's happened in such a short space of time as well. He's look, all, everything he's saying is to an extent. That's the the way the counterbalance to this is. It's true. He's the chronic underinvestment by Levy in the squad. Yes, they've got a gleaming new stadium, but at what cost now? They've thrown, they've discarded a manager who, who, is now probably the most coveted, unemployed manager in Europe, uh, and they've replaced him with, with a guy who, really increasingly looks like yesterday's man. So, if I was a Tottenham fan, I would be, I would be sort of pretty worried about the future. Not only that, because even if he does get money now, would you want Jose Mourinho to be the guy who? who's constructing a new squad. He wants to go out and sign the guys who are 28 and 29 who are ready to do the job now. That's what he always says. No, I think like he's he's going to be he's going to be around for a while yet, but I I don't I don't see it being a, a good marriage in the future. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
England manager Phil Neville said it was totally acceptable for people to question his position after defeat to Spain in their final She Believes Cup match, which turns out to be a seventh loss in 11 games. The defeat comes after a victory over Japan and also a loss to the USA earlier in the tournament. Rebecca Myers has been covering it for the Times and I'm pleased to say she joins us now here on The Game. Hello, Rebecca. Hi guys, how are you? Very, very well. Um, but all very disappointing for the Lionesses once again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, no sort of positive headlines this morning, really. Um, I mean, he he hung in there with that. Um, you know, no one necessarily expects him to beat the US. So I think while that match was extremely disappointing at the beginning, it comes with that sort of caveat. Second match against Japan, Ellen White saved the day. We caught, you know, got through that 1-0 um, win through the skin of our teeth. And then this match, I think, was really kind of the epitome of everything that's going wrong at the moment. As you just said, that seven um, losses in 11, it's not good enough. And, and what I'm kind of struggling with this morning and what I think a lot of people are struggling with from kind of the fan base and maybe other reporters is that, you know, we have heard this before. Um, there doesn't seem to be any question from within that you know his position is at risk i'm not personally advocating for that but it seems like quite a unique conversation to women's football maybe i can't think of any situation in men's football where a manager would lose seven and eleven games um of, of a very highly ranked side and still you know pretty much be assumed to be staying in the job i mean phil kind of alluded to that himself he talked about um being under David Moyes and, and him having a worse streak than Phil's had now and, um, you know, his job being called into question. So he's obviously aware of it. But, uh, you know, I think there's a sort of a bit of a strange situation where, you know, what what isn't changing, what isn't happening? You know, we keep saying we need to change. We've been saying that now since, well, you know, if you take aside the World Cup at least since November. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a, it is quite a strange situation. Do you feel, though, with regards to discussions, which I, I'm not privy to, I'm not sure if the FA are even discussing whether or not Phil Neville should be in charge of England anymore, but do you think a lot of the reasons, or one of the reasons as to why they may not be making a decision is because of the upcoming Olympics? Yeah, I mean, certainly, and again, I'm you know I'm not sitting at those tables within the FA either, but certainly the understanding was that, you know, you can't... Um, get a new manager in now and expect to do well at the Olympics in the summer. Obviously, with everything that's going on, there's a chance the Olympics won't go ahead anyway. Um, and the kind of key project and the key focus has been, and they have stated it's, it's the home Euros next year. So I suppose you're now looking at, well, and obviously we can't make any decisions on the basis that the Olympics aren't going ahead. But if for whatever, you know, if for coronavirus reasons, for example, they don't, um, still unlikely, but if they don't, then you're looking at kind of, well, we have got time, you know, there is a year and a bit to go to the home Euros. Um, and I mean, that also factors into stuff like he's using very young players, which is great, really exciting to see that was the kind of purpose of this tournament, giving them that game time. But I think that, you know, the sort of telling point is that the problems we're seeing are the same problems. Um, and certainly, you know, no shots on target last night at all. Um, in the game against Spain and that's playing with an extremely experienced very good set of forwards who you know that's not using sort of random players who have zero caps these are you, the Ellen Whites and Nikita Parises so so something is clearly going wrong there Rebecca it's Alison are you saying are you actually saying that Phil has lost the dressing room <laughs> well that that's that's all 
even more interesting because I sort of think he hasn't lost the dressing room and that's kind of quite surprising. Like the players seem to be very behind him or certainly outwardly and, and in their you know, their press conferences and all of that. They seem to be really quite united. Um I mean I saw another reporter suggesting that the blow of the World Cup and, and having lost that has basically gone to their heads completely and, and maybe we shouldn't have demanded so much of them from the World Cup, which is a sort of interesting way to look at it. But I think you kind of you kind of almost can't play that game of looking backwards and going, or with hindsight, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they have always been really behind Phil, even through bad results. They've almost treated criticism of Phil as, as criticism of them, which is quite interesting. So, you know, maybe he does still have the dressing room and maybe he can turn this round. Why, but why would he? Why I don't understand why he would have the dressing room. If he's bringing through young players, that implies that some players are being dumped or rested. And if they're not, showing signs of something I mean it'd be all right if he had this terrible record but you could see that there was a new pattern of play and they were more expansive and more entertaining and they were developing a style that looked like you know in six months time they might they might be able to beat the US but if 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 these tinkerings aren't leading to any plaudits in terms of you can see what the future might hold I'd, I'd, but some players are being overlooked maybe some players are coming in when they're not ready I don't see why anyone would be happy yeah exactly and I wonder whether this introduction of new players and different faces might then also change that I mean we've seen um quite a lot of conversation that during she believes around Ellen White and um Beth England obviously Beth England didn't go to the World Cup she's an incredible player and people wanted to see a lot more of her than, than we did um and Ellen Phil was sort of saying well, there was disrespect shown to Ellen for people saying that you know she shouldn't necessarily start and give Beth a chance and that was the first sign of some sort of you know for me maybe a little bit of disquiet or or unhappiness there. Well it is interesting because Nikita Paris has certainly come out to defend Phil Neville I mean she was saying I I don't believe Phil as the manager should get absolutely hammered by the media Uh, I think we should she says you have to be hard on us because ultimately we are the ones stepping out into that arena he's putting in the work and we are not delivering for him, um, when you go back to last year and the, and the last she believes cup, obviously England won that, and optimism was so high heading into the World Cup. So, can you actually put any kind of reasoning as as to where it has all gone wrong? Yeah, I don't, and maybe that is that point again about is it is it just this World Cup? But it's too long now to call it a hangover. We can't mm. keep saying this is a World Cup hangover. It's what was it now? Like eight months ago? It's it's too long ago. Um, I think that's quite interesting that she's coming out and saying, you know, we should take some of the fact too. I think there is still a slightly uneasy relationship with criticism within the women's game. Um, the players have spoken quite a lot about this since the World Cup. They weren't really prepared um, for the criticism that they got, both from the media and fans. Now, you know, as the media, we aren't doing our job if we're saying one male defeat against Spain. Well, it was still a great match. That's patronising. Players don't want that. But I think also they weren't necessarily ready for the scrutiny that they came under um and part of me thinks that might also be why there isn't necessarily you know mutiny against phil because they they take criticism quite quite prickly it's, it's quite a difficult issue and, and i think there's solidarity there with saying well we're not used to this and we don't want it all the time I, you know i think that is a still really difficult relationship just lastly, Rebecca, got to get your thoughts on what else Phil Neville has had to say and how he's not happy with the FA in the way that the England team have travelled to and from the US. And what's the latest you have on that? 
Yeah, so um, this is a brilliant report by um, Molly this morning, and Molly's been out in the US for us, and, and her coverage has been phenomenal. Um, she is reporting, as, as a lot of other papers are this morning, that um, the England women are going to fly back uh, in business class, which is, I'm sorry to say, an improvement on the way they got there, um, but in a commercial flight. And, you know, we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. Um, I just, I cannot fathom a world in which male players, international male players for a team like England would not get a chartered flight during a pandemic and would go through a busy airport like anybody else. I just think it's disgraceful. Um, to his credit, Phil has come out and been very um, critical of that. He said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm quite angry about that. Uh, we have to start protecting them a goddamn lot better, was, was his phrase. Um, but part of me thinks, well, if he really feels like that, I'm not sure why it's happened. I'm not, I'm not, you know, party to quite how much influence he has, but they flew out there in premium economy. Um, that we were told that was because they, um, there wasn't enough seats for all the players to be in business. But to me, that suggests that there was a booking, you know, an organisational error that should have been dealt with earlier. And part of me thinks, well, you know, if you set those standards at the beginning, why are we surprised that they're flying back in, um, you know, in, alongside other passengers who could have come from anywhere in, in the world. I think it's really disappointing. You know, it's one thing when female athletes get treated differently to male athletes, but it's another when it actually puts their, their health and their safety at, at risk. Rebecca, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rebecca. So that was Rebecca Myers speaking to us and she's been across the She Believes Cup, as has Molly Hudson, who's been out in America for The Times. Now, as mentioned by Rebecca Myers there, Phil Neville was unhappy that the Lionesses will be travelling back from America on a commercial plane when you consider the coronavirus that is affecting the world. It has been declared a pandemic by the World Health Organisation. And at the time of recording, we are awaiting more news around sports in Britain and the next course of action to be taken. We know, of course, many games across Europe have been affected by coronavirus, with either games being played behind closed doors or even pos entire postponements of leagues, as we're seeing more regularly. More, more recently in the Premier League, we had our first postponement during the week as Arsenal's tie with Manchester City was hit following the North London side's contact with the Olympiacos owner, Evangelis Marinakis. And the discussion we're going to have now, I guess, Alison and Gregor, centres on comments that Pep Guardiola made when he was asked about the situation with, with regards to coronavirus and whether or not he would want games to be played behind closed doors. His response was, well, does football work without spectators? And is he right, Alison? Would that be the right thing to do? No, I mean, philosophers will say, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to see it, has it actually fallen in the forest? <laughs> I I think I think fo football has the crowd it deserves. So when I played in Regent's Park on a Thursday night, nobody watched me, and that was quite right. And then you go, do you have your school games, and they're like fifty parents on the touchline, absolutely. That's what that's that's what that game deserves, and you go up through the levels and you get to clubs that have players on 120 grand a week and are finely finely tuned and honed and the best managers for that team and everything is elite 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 for what 
there is only one reason for that because of the passion behind those clubs, the invest, the emotional investment. Um, if you watch any top level match, whether you're there or you're watching it on TV, as as much as you might think you're there watching 90 minutes of football, you're not. You're listening to the crowd. You're watching the crowd. The the person in charge of the camera shots would have a horrible, horrible time if he couldn't pan to the child crying, the fat bloke screaming, the old man falling asleep because it was so boring. And when you're reporting on a match, because you're typing so much, I mean, sometimes you have 1,100 words to type before the final whistle, You've got to look down at your keyboard or you look at your screen and you 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 find what you're doing is you're watching a game via the crowd. Mm -hmm. You know what's coming and what's gone and what might be about to happen because the crowd are very informed and they are part of they are part of the entertainment. So for me, taking away football elite football behind closed doors is like saying, uh, I'm going to go to the Royal Opera House, but there will be no tenors. And that you know, you know, there'd be no violinists. Mm. It's just ridiculous. You either do it or you don't do it. I wish I was medically informed enough because I think what would be the best thing would be to just say all public events, no public events at all, whether it's the theatre or football, for two weeks, shut down the tubes and just say stop. And then football, I think, would be, would like that. And then they could come back and they'd be actually happy for the first time ever to have an overcrowded schedule where they're playing once every three days to catch up. That would be the answer. An elongated period of football behind closed doors is is too abysmal to, to contemplate. I agree. I mean, when I flicked over from Liverpool the other night uh, to the, the Dortmund PSG game and they were just... The final whistle was just about to be blown and it was blown and they were all celebrating on the pitch... Thomas Tuchel, the PSG manager, ran on and he was kind of embracing the players and there was no one to do it with. It was it felt completely wrong. It was mm. kind of the stadium was empty. I mean that's before we talk about how there was thousands of people congregated outside, which was which is another reason why this does seem fairly pointless. Um so yeah, I, I it also, you know, I've played in games kind of reserve games when I was when I was younger and in, in, in big big stadiums or early rounds of cup games that like nobody cared about and there's maybe a hundred people there um, but that's what that deserved presumably yeah I know they I weren't know. staying away because they knew Gregor was playing and he was going to be awful <laughs> <laughs> I hope not no I know but the 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 point is when you're on the pitch it's rubbish as well so it's not there's no one who wins except Probably the competition organisers, possibly broadcasters. Um, for the players, it's rubbish as well. Uh, fans can't get in to see it. Really, there's there's no winner. Um, and I agree. I think I'm just amazed that it's, it's. I mean, it should be called off. We've we've been last. It might be by the time we, by the time the listeners are listening to this. Um, but it seems astonishing that the Premier League's been the last to do it. Um, just on, on that then, is it actually even for the good of the game that you p postpone matches? Because, I mean, how important is a, a crowd for a game when it's something like a league match? Uh, it's, uh, just exactly what Alison's saying. I think that the football without fans to sort of commune with, 
uh, feels very hollow for the players on the pitch as well. It's not. It doesn't feel like the same occasion. It doesn't feel like it has the same weight of importance. Um, like making love to a robot. That's what it is. <laughs> no, but think about it. No, think I about know you're it. right. No, absolutely. I mean, I think football in an empty stadium is really almost pointless. Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and Rebecca Myers. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.